I appreciate the choir and leading us in worship with that prayer, Lord, make me holy. Well, I do want to direct your attention to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 18. I'm sure that even more so than normal, you're anxious to hear what will be said today if a sermon is preceded by a warning. Uh, so we're just going to dive into the text and uh, seek to apply it to our lives. It is good just to give you an update on my daughter Emma. We did come home from the hospital Monday evening. She's been doing pretty well. Uh, I do want to ask you to pray specifically. We measure her oxygen saturation level continuously. And our goal for her is to be breathing at 97% or above. Uh, last day or two, she's really been struggling. And we can't figure out why. So just pray that that will improve and get back up to where it needs to be. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Please hear the word of the Lord. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Would you pray with me? Father, incline our hearts and minds towards you this morning. Shine light in the darkness. And Father, as the choir just sang, Lord, lead us in holiness as we seek to follow you. Father, I pray that you would make serving you and loving you the greatest desire of our hearts. Be glorified, Father, please, in the proclamation and in the hearing of your word. Grant the anointing of your Holy Spirit this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And the church said, Amen. The year 1949 marked a banner year in, the, in evangelical Christianity in the United States. It's a year that stood out for several reasons, but one of which is this. There were three young men that were believed to have the potential to impact Christianity, to impact the world with the gospel. These three men were rising stars on the horizon of evangelical Christianity. Now one of them you know and are very familiar with. He came to prominence in 1949 at the Los Angeles Crusade. That, of course, is the late Billy Graham. But at the time, he wasn't the one that drew the most attention. The two other men that I'm about to tell you about are the ones that evangelical culture really believed would be the movers and the shakers. One of them was a man by the name of Charles Templeton. An intellectual who could write and preach with a, a great flair and began to impact many. He was deemed to be the one that may make a great impact upon academia. The other was an evangelist by the name of Bron Clifford. 
He was a powerful preacher. In fact, in 1949, he preached a, a chapel service at Baylor University that lasted for three hours because people kept responding to the gospel. His message, Jesus and the Philosopher's Stone, is one that was amazing. So what happened? Charles Templeton eventually left the faith. He walked away from Orthodox Christianity, eventually vowing not even to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Bron Clifford's ending was also tragic. He fell prey to temptation. He fell into immorality, alcoholism, and died by himself in a hotel room in Amarillo, Texas due to cirrhosis of the liver. Two men who had great potential, but their lives were derailed. The passage that Nathan read earlier, the Apostle Paul ended by saying, Take heed lest you fall. We must take heed because there are temptations, things that would derail me and derail you from following Christ. And I think in today's culture, one of the most pressing temptations that will cause derailment of the Christian life is that of sexual immorality, specifically that of pornography. Sex is pervasive in our culture. There was a time where one would have to work hard to find illicit material. Now you have to work hard to avoid it. It's found in everything, from commercials advertising hamburgers all the way to car commercials. In the music we hear, in the images that cross our screens, there is an, a, a message that true freedom, true love is found in sexual expression. And it's that issue that based upon 1 Thessalonians 4, I want us to, to deal with today. Now understand that as I preach this message, I'm coming from what I hope and believe is the biblical standpoint. Sex is a good gift from God. It's a blessing. But it's a blessing that is meant to be opened, a gift meant to be opened only within the confines of marriage between a husband and his wife. I think the best illustration of that is a fire or a river, if you will. A river can give life. It can give joy, fishing, swimming in it, playing, drinking from it. But what happens when a river floods and it overspills its boundaries? That same water that can give life and enjoyment becomes destructive. Why? It's out of its boundaries. Fire is the same way. A campfire is a wonderful thing to sit down at night to, to share scary stories and enjoy a s'more. But what happens to that fire whenever it's outside of the boundaries of that campfire? It becomes destructive. What we see around us is when sex is removed from its proper boundaries. Paul addresses this to this church in Thessalonica. He's addressing it to a congregation that, that struggled with it as, as humanity does. You recognize that sexual temptation is nothing new. Going back even into the Old Testament to the way it portrays very frankly sexual sin, even in the book of Ezekiel. It speaks about lewd pictures being, being painted and drawn and avoiding them. The culture at Thessalonica was one that came out of idol worship. 
cults. And one of the predominant themes in the cults, whether it was the cult of Dionysus, the cult of Athena, the cult of Artemis, was sexual immorality. It was part of worship for them. Not only that, the Greco-Roman culture had a double standard. It would encourage men to engage in sexual activity as soon as they, they were old enough, and that was usually deemed 13, 14 years old. And then once married, it was recognized that a man married in Roman culture to carry on his family name and to have legitimate children. However, it was also recognized that it was perfectly acceptable for a man to have a mistress on the side. It's within that culture that Paul writes the words we read this morning to abstain from sexual immorality. That we as followers of Jesus are to have a different understanding about this gift of sex and also to live differently from the world that is around us. The question is, how do we do that? How can we seek to be sexually pure in a culture that pushes sexual immorality on us at every turn? I'm glad you asked. Paul begins by instruction. You see, if we are to seek to be sexually pure, we've got to be sure we've got the right guide. Notice where he begins in verse 1. He says, we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus. Verses 1 and 2 of 1 Thessalonians 4 is an attaboy. Paul is saying you're doing good. He says you're seeking to follow the instruction. In fact, he says just as you are doing, that's at the end of verse 1, and he says that you do so more and more. So Paul is telling them you're doing good. Now, keep on. Don't let up. But notice where he anchors this encouragement. We ask you, in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us and notice in verse 2 he gives more insight on the instruction they received from him for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus the instructions that he's about to give on purity sanctification are anchored in the Lord it's him saying, these are instructions from the Lord. Now that's very important for us to recognize because all around us are voices telling us what is and is not acceptable. From a young age, we are shaped in our view and our understanding of what constitutes right and wrong. There are two areas today that are emphasized. and Really, they're connected. Today we hear the message, follow your heart. And that's usually connected with desires. Whatever you want, do it. In fact, there's a train of thought that dates back to, to psychoanalysis in the 1800s that said it is wrong to repress sexual desire. So today the voices tell us that true liberation, true freedom, true humanity is found in just letting your desires go. Why keep them in? It's viewed as dangerous. And the scripture tells us that giving free reign to your heart, to your desires will lead to death. Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to us. But it's going to end in death. See, we need to take a hard look at what roadmap we're following to walk a holy life. Just like today, there are many ways you can get directions to go somewhere. You can just follow your heart and set out, I know this way, I know the house is in the east, so I'm going to drive east. You can get out an old-fashioned paper map if they still make those. Google Maps, but I still like this. 
I still love it when somebody says, let me just go with you and show you how to get there. Did you know God has come alongside you, believer? He has said, I'm going to show you how to get there. That's the Holy Spirit. You see, these instructions that Paul speaks of in verses 1 and 2 are anchored in the Spirit of God because look at verse 8. He says, therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God. And what does God do? He gives the Holy Spirit to you, to me. So we have to come back and say, okay, I cannot let my thinking on this issue of sexuality or any issue be shaped by the culture around me. I have to come back to the Word of God that's going to lead me in the way that is pleasing to God. Now hear clearly, when we start getting into these commands where God is saying, for example, abstain from sexual immorality, don't do this. When God says no, it is so He can say yes to an even greater blessing that comes from being obedient to Him. Understand that when God expresses a negative not to do something, it is out of love for us and a desire for us to experience something even better. When God tells us to say no to something, it's because that something will lead to death. So now he begins about this path in walking purity. How is it that God instructs us? Instructs us? He says in verse 3, This is the will of God, your sanctification. Now God's will is for every believer to grow in holiness. That's a constant theme throughout all of Scripture. Leviticus 11.44, Be holy because I am holy. 1 Peter chapter 1, he quotes that same verse. Be holy because I am holy. God's will for every believer is to pursue holiness. Not being holier than thou. But recognizing that if God has redeemed us, He has redeemed us not just from our sin, but He has redeemed us so we can reflect His glory and His character. And that is where the greatest joys are found. That's why the psalmist says, Lord, at your right hand are 10,000 pleasures forevermore. So God desires for us to be holy. So what does that look like? There are three things that are mentioned in verses 3 through 7 that point the path of purity. Now they're connected. They're identified by the word that. You'll see it in verse 4. I'm sorry, the end of verse 3. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That's the first one. The second one is verse 4. That each one of you know how to control his own body. And then in verse 6, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter. Matter. Three things that relate to being sanctified. Abstaining from sexual immorality. Practicing self-control. And being concerned about the community of faith that you are in. Now, granted, and to be up front, I'm going to give more time to the first one. Because the other two commands flow out of it. So let's start there. He tells us here that we are to abstain from sexual immorality. If you've ever done any Bible study or been in church for a while, it's probably no secret that the, one, the two words, sexual immorality, come from the one Greek word, pornea. It's where we get the word pornography. Pornea is a broad term for any sexual activity, including adultery, sex before marriage, pictures, drawings. Today we could even broaden the definition of that to include anything from sexting to online pornography 
I would define pornography as anything that is designed to elicit a sexual response, whether it be written as in a text message or email, or whether it be visual or auditory. Pornography is anything designed to elicit a sexual response. Now the lie today is this. It does no harm. The lie that is told across our culture. Pornography doesn't have any victims. It's simply giving free expression to the desires that every man and woman have. Therefore, it's argued it's even a good thing. But let me remind you again. When God says to abstain from something, it means that that something is not a good thing. I want to share with you some areas in which pornography is destructive. I hope these will be a reminder to you and an encouragement to take steps to flee from it. First, I want you to keep in mind that pornography causes spiritual harm. It may go without saying, but I've often found that the thing we think doesn't need to be said needs to be said. We can't claim to be walking closely with the Lord while engaging in pornography. Psalm 66, 18 says that if I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. That word cherish means if I desired it, hanged on to it, loved it. Loved it. God's not going to listen. The language becomes even more powerful in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, when he writes, Be careful, be on guard against the sinful passions, the lust that wage war, war against your soul. What is the purpose of war? It is destruction. It is to destroy. So if lust is waging war against your soul, it desires to destroy your soul. The language is provocative and intentionally so. We can never claim that God is pleased when we engage in pornography. And like any sin, it will always push you deeper and deeper. And that means it will pull you further and further away from God. It's called the law of diminishing return. Once you begin engaging in an activity and you reach a certain level, then it takes more and more of that material to reach the same feeling. That's why pornography never stops at one level. It will always take you to the deepest, darkest, most vile place. Always. And every step along the way, it will take you further and further away from God. It promises life. It's like drinking salt water, thinking it will slake your thirst. But it only makes it worse. So always remember, it is spiritually destructive. A second thing I would have you remember is this. Pornography destroys marriages and other relationships. Pornography destroys marriages because it takes the affection, the emotion, and the desire that one spouse should have for another, and it places it someplace else. It causes emotional distance. And this is why. I would highly recommend a book by Dr. William Struther entitled Wired for Intimacy. He's a neuroscientist and also a Christian. And he has done great research in how pornography usage affects the male brain. And one of the things he has found is this. It breeds passivity. 
In other words, what he has found is that there are reactions that take place in the brain that cause a man to begin to withdraw from relationships around them. And this is why. Relationships take work. And what happens with viewing an image upon a screen is it requires no work. It requires no investment. So that carries over then into the relationship where there is a passivity and an emotional distance that will come about in the marriage relationship because the man is not, does not need to put any effort into achieving what he desires when it's done through a screen. It also breeds secrecy in marriages. It breeds this idea of keeping things hidden. So one of the signs to look for is that is there secrecy and emotional distance? Neither of those are good in a marriage relationship. In fact, the American Sociological Association has deemed that when a spouse starts viewing porn, chances of divorce increase. And one of the lies that I think is being promulgated in our culture today is that if couples will engage in watching pornography together, it will enhance the relationship. will not. It will drive you apart because you're bringing another person into the most intimate and one of the most sacred aspects of marriage. Hebrews 13 4 says that the marriage bed is to be undefiled, pure before God. It will never help. A third thing I would warn you about is this. Pornography destroys a healthy and respectful view of the opposite sex. Pornography will lead a person to view another human as simply an object. Not an object made in the image of God with value and purpose, but as an object that only exists to fulfill the desires of you, the viewer. It demeans the image of God in other people. And it will lead us to treat people as objects. One of the things that has left me scratching my head in the last year is with the convictions, the accusations of sexual immorality, sexual abuse. As the courtroom drama unplays, as I, and I may have missed it, okay, I, I admit that, but I have never heard one person even mention there could be a connection between the use of pornography and what we're hearing about in, in, in these cases. Never one. And you know why that is? Because if you say there's a connection, it's admitting that pornography is dangerous, that it's harmful. And what that means then is as an American culture, we have to say our idol is destroying us rather than saving us. And as a culture, we don't want to go there. We have to understand it demeans the value of God in other people. Not only that, it will destroy communities. You understand the lie that it's a victimless thing. It's not. The National Law Center for Children and Families did a study about the correlation between when an adult business opens in a city and crime. What they found is that in areas where adult businesses open, for example, they used Phoenix as a test case. When an adult business opened, the number of sexual offenses in that area increased 506%. Five hundred percent increase. 
They found that property crime increased by 43%. Violent crimes increased by 43%. Marianne Layden is the Director of Education at the University of Pennsylvania, excuse me, Pennsylvania Health System. She said she's been treating sexual violence victims and perpetrators for 13 years. And she said, quote, I have never treated a single case of sexual violence that did not involve pornography. You understand it's destructive. And there is a shame that comes with it. But I also know that as with any sin, it is addictive. So the question comes, how do we stop? Most believers who struggle with this will tell you, I've tried to stop time and time again. How does it happen? Well, it is not easy. I think sexual sin is unique in that it has an impact upon spirit and body. That's where you get to the next command. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles. Now remember, that's in connection with this issue of abstaining from sexual immorality. Now understand, this is not just Paul saying, stop it. Now that's a part of it. But when he talks about controlling your own body, that means practicing self-control. Notice the two descriptions, in holiness and honor. That means in respect, that's the honor. In other words, having respect for yourself and respect for others. But holiness is connected to the work of the Holy Spirit. God has not said, just stop it and then left me and you on our own to figure it out. He gives us the resources we need to abstain from sexual immorality. One is the, the Spirit of God Himself. If I were to ask you today, name me the fruit of the Spirit, and I were to start writing them, I have no doubt I would get most of them. Peace, patience, love, kindness, gentleness, these things. But the one fruit of the Spirit that is often overlooked is this, self-control. That's listed there also. When the Spirit of God is working within us, there will be an aspect of self-control, which means this. It means that we take steps to practice uh, self-control so we don't put ourselves in situations that will lead to sin. That may mean limiting time on the computer. It may mean having a frank conversation with your husband or your wife. It may mean putting down the smartphone and leaving it behind at areas and times when you know you will be tempted. It means taking steps. But not just taking steps, but addressing the desire, the heart. That's where he says, not in the passion of lust or the lust, uh, lustful passions like Gentiles. And notice how Gentiles are described, who do not know God. Knowledge of God brings about a change. And that change comes about as the Spirit of God works within us. And as we take responsibility to pursue sanctification. Now look though at the third that, because now it brings community into the picture. That no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. Now it's wondered, why does Paul bring up community now? Wrong his brother in this matter? Now he's talking about the church. Keep in mind what I said before. Most of the Christians at Thessalonica were coming out of a background where sexual immorality was a part of worship. And he's telling them now, not so with the church of Jesus Christ. Not so. 
It's not a place where we are to give free reign to our desires and wrong our brother in this matter. That's referring to sexual immorality because the Lord is an avenger, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. That means as a church, we take safeguards to ensure and to protect ourselves from sexual immorality. It's one of the reasons why we do background searches on anyone who works with the children. Anyone and everyone. It's why we need to be a place that gives protection, but also comes alongside to help. If this morning your heart's feeling convicted, it is my prayer that you will not feel condemnation, but hope. Because I believe in a God who redeems Breaking free from sexual sin is not easy, but it's possible. And one of the things that Satan will do to convict, to convince you to, to keep it quiet is this. No one will understand. No one will care. What will they think of you? But I encourage you to know you cannot break this chain alone. Sin will always thrive in secrecy. Always. That's why we need to be able to express to one another our struggles and our challenges without condemnation, without judgmentalism, but coming alongside as brother to brother, sister to sister, saying, I understand. Let's pray for one another. Let's keep one another accountable. To have that person you can call when the temptation is being felt to say, pray for me right now. To have that person that can ask you, how are you doing? And then when you say fine, they'll ask, no, how are you really doing? And get beyond the superficiality. One of the Proverbs asked this question. Can a man take fire to his bosom and not be burned? Can you play with fire and not be burned? And the answer, of course, is no. David Allen Tripp, Paul David Tripp, is a counselor. He wrote these words. The way you express your sexuality either will recognize God's existence and honor Him or will deny His existence and rebel against His authority. It is not a neutral issue. This morning I preached this is one who understands, one who's desiring to seek God in holiness, and one who wants to see us as a congregation be what God intends us to be, and one whose heart is broken. Whenever I, I talk with couples, and when you get right down to it, one of the issues that has brought about marital problems is that of pornography. It happens more frequently than you would ever think. So please guard your heart. Guard your marriage. Single person, guard your heart now. Let the patterns you established lead you to holiness. And to know that today is the day to begin. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. Nathan and I will be here at the front. 
And, and I recognize that giving an invitation at the end of a message like this, some would look at it and say, well, why in the world would anyone respond? Sometimes that's what's necessary is to take that bold stand. But at the same time, I want you to know, even if you don't respond to this invitation, and even if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, take steps. It may be after the service is over and people are starting to leave and you come to Nathan or you come to me and say, you know, I didn't respond to the invitation, but I, I want you to come alongside me. I need, I need to be free. I'm asking you, though, not to delay because the longer you continue in sin, the more difficult it is to turn from it. Father, I thank you for your gracious love. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you offer us true life and true freedom. The world offers us lies, things that will lead to our destruction. But, Father, you give us life and you love us enough to say, do this, and also say, don't do this. So, Father, incline our hearts to you. Give us a desire for your glory that will truly satisfy us. And help us, Father to abstain from any sin. In the name of Jesus, I pray.